It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast, the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Brewing. Each week, we spend time talking about sports topics of local interest, some national at times. We have a betting segment, and of course, my favorite segment of the show where you can ask me a question on anything. Literally anything. I mean, I give you a good answer, but you can ask me the question. It's our Ask Skinny Anything segment. Rick chimes in on that as well. Uh, Rick, we're meandering our way through uh, through the end of a college basketball regular season. That I know we're going to talk a little bit about the locals, but just in general, um, it continues to be obviously hit, miss, miss, hit. But it feels like we're getting more. Maybe I'm wrong. We're getting more teams, it feels like, playing than aren't. And I do feel like with cases going down across the country, that we are going to get to the finish line of this. Well, yeah, I mean, we're, we're getting there one way or another. I don't know how many teams are going to make it there, but it, we're definitely going to finish this thing off. The funny thing for me, and especially because I cover Xavier, I think I hear it even more is, you know, I keep hearing people talk about like they've got to figure this out or they're getting rotations down, things of that nature. Like the season is just starting. And I'm in my head thinking the other day after the, the loss to St. John's, I'm going, Wait, how, how much time do they have left to figure this thing out? We're like two weeks right, away from the right, end of the season. This right. is it. Like, you got to know at this point. Yeah, and we're going to talk about that a little bit, I'm sure. But but I, I do think for, for teams that have had to stop, start, stop, start, stop, start, and I'm not looking to make excuses. It's just a fact. I've dealt with it as a coach myself. And it's funny, over the last, whew, last three or three weeks or so, I've got my whole team back. We've been able to practice regularly, play regularly. And I don't think it's a coincidence that we've won six of eight games because of that. We've just gotten better. Whereas opposed to early in the year, it was missing two guys here, missing a guy there, missing a couple of practices here, missing a week of games there. And you just couldn't, you couldn't ever get everybody together. And, uh, you know, hearing Travis Steele the other night, I mean, I, I, I sense his frustration with it. And some of it's with his guys, but I do sense the frustration of, of all of it because, you know, when you, when you can't practice and you can't get in a rhythm, it's hard to get better. It just is. No doubt. Well, we're already on the subject of college basketball, so let's get into our first question here. I've got actually a trio of college hoops question about the local teams, and we'll start with Xavier. Finally, the Musketeers returned to play and then promptly lost two games. They lost on Saturday to UConn, 87-2, and then on Tuesday to St. John's, 93-84. to Skinny, how concerned should Xavier fans be about this team's chances of making the tournament? I I'm starting to get more concerned because I was the one that also said, I thought they had a chance to potentially run the table. Um, and, and it's been the exact opposite of that. It's, it's, it's losing to two teams that you're more than capable of, of beating and especially UConn without its best player. Um, so now it's not a matter of boy, hope you can split the rest of the way or, or hope you can win a couple. You better start stringing some wins together. So you're not there. I know I looked at bracket matrix for the first time this year, Rick, believe it or not yesterday, um, and it had Xavier as a nine seed. So that's still comfortably in. But, you know, at this stage of the game, though, you have your potential as goofy as it sounds to, to play your way out. I don't think they do. I do think they find it. I think whatever that it is, and it might come Sunday when they play Butler, a team at home that they should handle, should beat. Um, and maybe that's all it takes. You know, a handful of, of, you know, this has been kind of a normal week for them because they played on Saturday. They got a chance to practice. They played on Tuesday. They'll get a chance to practice some more, then play Butler. So you've played, you've played and practiced, um, you know, on a fairly consistent basis over what is that an eight day, nine day period, um, and maybe that provides a little normalcy. And I, I, I heard Travis's frustration with his defense. 
I think they'll figure that out. I he made the point. I they're, they're going to score. I'm not worried about that part of it. But yeah, I mean, if I'm a fan, my team sits at you know maybe a nine seed as we sit here today. It's not like you can go. Well, as long as we win a game or two, no, you need to you need to probably finish not overly strong, but you can't limp to the finish. I I, I wouldn't say. Yeah, I think that's exactly right, and that's my feeling on the matter too. I mean, right now at eleven and four. Four and four in the conference, like you mentioned. I mean, most everyone has them somewhere between an eight and a 10 seed. I don't think anyone has them out of the tournament right now if they're putting together a bracket for the most yeah, part. Yeah, and, and I think I saw the, the last couple of at-larges from bracket matrix were even down to the 12 seed line um, as a play-in game. So I think we're there. I think we're – you still got a large spot to tumble if you're Xavier at this point. Right, exactly. And, and so – I, I think you should feel good about Xavier being in the tournament. And like you said, as long as they play out the rest of the season in a normal fashion, the way you would kind of expect them to, which, you know, in the last five games here, I think three and two minimum yes. you yeah. would expect, um, especially considering you got Butler, Georgetown, Marquette, and Providence out, out of four of those five games, all of those being very winnable game. Although three, at home being yeah, the although tough three, one. three, yeah, three on the road though, but yes, yeah, all, yeah, but, but still, all winnable I mean, games. Right. Agree. Yeah, you got to beat Agreed. those teams. So I think that's kind of where I'm at with it as well. The The concern for me, if you're a Xavier fan, is how quickly can you get this thing fixed if you are facing an issue? Like, for instance, against St. John's, transition defense was clearly the problem and the reason they lost that game. I think that has a lot to do with St. John's and the way they're built. Right. I, I don't know that you're going to have that same problem every game, but there were some some carryover between what they were screwing up against UConn, what they're screwing up against St. John's. Some of that's just guys not understanding how to play hard, not sprinting back the right way. Zach Freeman has really struggled defensively. You know, there, there's some of that going on. I think but, fans but, are but, like, but how can you possibly not play hard if you're at this part of the year? And and, and like skinny as a coach, you know, I, I asked the question, well, I don't disagree that that may be on the head coach, getting your guys to play hard. Sure. But how do you think you instill that as a coach? Through uh, your practice habits every day, right? That's that's correct. And then, so and, then makes, holding, and then holding players accountable in games, if they're not playing hard, get them out. Sure. But it would make sense that maybe the team that hasn't hardly played played right. or practiced in a month might have some issues with that. You know what I mean? like right. So that's, that's where I, I don't think it's the end of the world. I think they can certainly fix all of this. Uh, but – you do get concerned. Okay, what if it takes them another week or something, and they do lose yeah, at home but, to but, Butler and then at Providence? But but some of it, and you mentioned with the transition defense, is literally simple communication a lot of times, and and maybe that's one of those things you didn't address as a coach because you assumed your guys um, have been doing it. It's something you do from from day one, and and uh, well, they did it great feel- last time they played St. John's a couple weeks. Yeah, ago, but you know? but it, but it, it, you would think it's natural, so maybe it's something you just completely didn't emphasize, and players slipped I, i'll be honest rick i had a, a game last night where i literally took two timeouts for that very reason because um uh in the first quarter because we literally coming back down the floor left the guy wide open three straight times and it was just a simple communication i said it's really not hard to go i got five you got 11 i got 12 i got you know pointed out we, we, we've talked about this and then i thought to myself after the two timeouts you know something i haven't probably done consistently and practiced it a long time and we just we needed a reinforcement period, and I, I think that, I think that's the thing for Xavier. I don't know if Zach Fremantle's defense is ever going to get fixed on a consistent basis, but I think some of the stuff that they 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 had an issue with against St. John's, I think a lot of that is fixable. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. And again, I think St. John's and their style of play bring some unique challenges that not a lot of teams actually do. So, right. you you St. John's is limited. They're not good in the half court. They're not a skilled team. But if you give them opportunities in transition, they will kill you because they can do that. And Xavier, 
I mean, in the first half, they gave up 18 points in transition off of just complete breakdowns. Right. I'm not talking about like Julian Champagne hitting a three in someone's face after they pushed the ball up the court or Posh Alexander getting a run out after he got to steal. I'm talking about like they had a major breakdown that led to an easy basket in transition. 18 points worth of them in the first right. half. Yeah. yeah and you're not going to win that game. Yeah. And I think some of it I heard Travis talk about, you know, their automatics are, you know, when a ball goes up two people automatically get back. And and again, maybe guys get ball watching. And I, again, I think it's things that are fixable. That's the part that I, right. I'd be I'd be positive about. It's not like, hey, we don't have enough quickness. We don't have enough toughness. We don't have enough this. No, you got that. You just need to fix some of the little stuff and it's fixable. And in fairness, they're not the most gifted team physically or on the defensive. And I think they do lack in some of those areas and are limited to a certain extent. But yes, like you but, said, but not to give up 90 points. Right. They've shown to be better already this season. Right, they've shown right. they can they can write this ship at least to an extent. So we will see. I don't think that the concern should be great about this team not making the tournament yet. But, you know, especially with such a weird resume, you do get apprehensive if you start dropping a sure, few more games I, here that you shouldn't. I get it. All right. Moving on to the other two local teams we talk about most, Kentucky and Cincinnati are currently on winning streaks, believe it or not. UK won two straight over the last week, taking down Auburn 82-80 and Vanderbilt 82-78, neither one of which is very good. Cincinnati took down Temple 71-69 and UCF 69-68 to to make it four straight wins over teams that aren't very good. Skinny, which team's turnaround is more convincing to you right now, Kentucky or Cincinnati? I'm going with Cincinnati's and, and I get that they haven't played anybody and I get that, that, um, you know, the wins have come by. I'm going to do this off the top of my head here. Three, three, two, and one. So what is that? Nine points in the four wins combined two over a woeful temple team. UCF's not very good times, but, but you see still playing with depleted roster. It looked like they were kind of dead in the water at three and seven and COVID hitting them. And you've had guys leave the team and leave the program. Um, and you look up and, and, you know, if there is an American athletic conference tournament, we have every reason to believe there is I, Rick. They're still on the, on the borderline of playing their way into a, to a top three or four seeded for the league tournament. I mean, right now they're tied in the loss column for, for fourth with SMU, just a game behind Memphis in the loss column. Now they do have to play Houston coming up and that's, that's no walk in the park. And that'll certainly maybe be a, a great measuring stick, but I, I'm going with, with UC I, Kentucky's has been a good one. I'm, you know, I, they're starting to find ways to score, but obviously there's been some slippage on the defensive end, but I, I'm going to go with UC and you may disagree with that. Well, it's funny. I believe more in the UK turnaround and the fact that if the, you were to put them up against a good team tomorrow, a top 25 team, they have the better chance of winning the game. Well, they're, they're, they're going to face that Saturday because they play at Tennessee. All right. And, and I think, from that perspective, you know, the fact that Brandon Boston, who is an elite player, is starting to play better, it gives UK a chance against some of the top tier teams you might come across. At the same time, if we're talking about like how their season is going to play out and what their chances are of making some noise down the stretch, to me, it's got to be UC just because right now, if you look at this conference, Houston's the only team I think they're, they're not, they can't beat. And, okay. and, and Houston, is very susceptible to getting upset, not necessarily against UC. That's not a great matchup for the Bearcats, but there are other teams in this conference that could upset Houston. And at that point, if that happens during the conference tournament, and Chad has talked about Kellen Sampson not really seeming to care a whole lot about the American tournament in the past, and understandably so, all of a sudden it's it's anyone's game. Like I don't think SMU is, is much better than UC right now. I don't think Memphis is much better no, than UC right agreed. now. 
and everyone else is just throw them into a hat and you pull them out. There's not much difference. So, yeah, I think UC has the better chance of actually potentially like pulling off an American athletic conference tournament run and getting to the NCAA tournament. I don't think UK can can pull that off in the SEC. Yeah, I, I think Kentucky would have to be hard pressed to do it because um, now Kentucky does have a chance to play its way for a while there. It looked like they were going to be one of those teams that was going to have to win five games in order to do it. They're now getting closer, I think, to the double buy level. It's it's obviously still very jumbled because of uh, different numbers of games. You know, if they were to upset Tennessee and run the table, I think they can still play their way, honestly, up to a three or four seed line for the league tournament, which would just be amazing. Um, but I just don't think they can get past all of the following, the Tennessees and the Alabamas um, on a given night. I just don't, don't see them getting through all of that. But, you know, maybe you know, conference is a heck of a thing. And, you know, if, if they get themselves into a decent seed line for the conference tournament, maybe they do make a run because it doesn't have to be a prolonged run. It doesn't have to be a five five win in five days type of run. It needs to be, be win three games. Maybe you're right. Get lucky with an upset. But, yeah, if I'm taking a, a wager, if you're giving me 20 bucks and saying you get to place on either UC or Kentucky to win their conference tournament, you're going to get good odds on both for starters. I'm, I'm putting it on Cincinnati. Let me switch gears slightly here because there was some big news that broke on the UC side on Tuesday night. Zach Harvey, one of the kind of emerging players for the Bearcats this year, a sophomore wing, decided to opt out and, and leave the team with just a few games to go. They've, they've got six games left. Um, and from what it sounds like, people don't expect him to be – back after this year either it sounds like he's going to enter the transfer portal at some point and and leave there's been a lot of turnover since John Brandon took over the program at UC how much does this one concern you because Zach Harvey did look so important to the future plans yeah this one's this one I think hit hit hard to me um and especially because as a, as a group they were collectively playing well I would have thought there'd been a good vibe around it thought there'd be a hey let's Let's play this out. I, listen, I know John's hard to play for. I do. Um, but a lot of coaches are hard to play for. And I, I think for a lot of kids, it's just it's always the grass is greener. And I just don't know if it is. And we're, we're going to talk about another one of these in just a second. I, I'm i just of the ilk of I, – I know you're going to differ with this. And this is the old guy in me. I, I just think it's become so easy to up and leave anymore, no matter if it's high school, college, um, sometimes pros to just say, yeah, trade me, I, you know, as opposed to gritting your teeth and getting into a tough situation. Life just ain't that easy. Um, you just can't keep picking up and leaving. And for some of these guys, when they get in the real world, you get into a job and you don't like it. Great. Go try to find another one. You may not find one. So good luck to you. Um, I, I just sometimes just grit your teeth and get through it. Yeah. And we'll get more into actually that decision when we talk about Jalen Johnson and Duke, that's going to be one of our topics coming up right. here, but I'm more interested just from the, UC fan perspective right now, the future of this program. It, I mean, should they start being panicked about not only the loss of Zach Harvey, who I think was, was they were expecting to play a big role next year, but just from the overall perspective of like how many guys can you keep turning over? Right. If you're expected to win here at some point in the near future, like year three or year four of the Brandon tenure, I, I'm, be, be, you know, be, be, I, well, I think be, John Brandon of, is a great coach. I'm not one who worries about guys transferring because I think it's the nature of the beast at this point, but it, it keeps happening like this. You just run into a certain point where you're like, we don't have anybody for next year. I mean, we're, we're revamping our whole roster every year and you can't win that way. And, and you're not doing it with, with quote unquote one and done talent either. Now you can do it a little bit through the transfer portal, but let's face it. A lot of guys who enter that 
are looking for a situation that's better for them individually. So you're coming in trying to do your thing. And so is Fred from Nebraska. And so is Jim from Boise state. And so is Mike from sacred heart. They're all trying to get what's better for them. And in a year, in a single year, that's hard to mold that group into a winner. It just is. So, you, I mean, and, and let's face it, you see as a program, you're not getting the one and done guy. You can get some high level high school kids who can contribute immediately. But the bottom line is you're usually building in a, in a, in a window to have, you know, years three and four of a group and, and adding pieces along the way and then kind of building in that regard. And when you keep having to do the, the, what you're talking about is kind of a tear down and, and, and reboot. You're, you're, you know, you're doing it through the transfer portal. A lot of times. I, I think that's a hard, I, listen, adding a piece. Great. But when you're adding multiples, that's really tough, man. Well, yeah. And I mean, let's not, there's, you know, they, the guys that he's brought in, in terms of transfers, like the grad transfer guys, they've up and left in the middle of the season right. on them too. So, I mean, to your point about guys having their own agendas, I mean, that's clearly been the case. You're, you're, you're hiring mercenaries when you do the grad transfer sure. thing. And that's not to say they can't work out. Look, Travis Steele did it for a couple of years and everyone was like, Hey, you can't keep getting Kyle Castlin and Bryce Moore. Well, this year you got the best shooter in college basketball from Gardner Webb and Nate Johnson. So it's like, you can hit on these guys. They can work out and can help your program. The problem is you start looking at UC and what they have going forward. And it's like, okay, David DeJulius is their guy. He is kind of the heartbeat of this team for this year and next year, at least, and maybe one more Tar Eason, Looks like he's going to be one of your cornerstones that you build around. But then after that, like you lose a guy like Zach. I was thinking Zach Harvey might be your next best player going into next year. And now you lose a guy like that. You're all of a sudden looking at, okay, so now the transfers that you're bringing in. I mean, I don't know that David DeJulius and Tari Eason are enough on the offensive end. You're talking about bringing in maybe your best player on offense needs to be a transfer next year. That's not easy to do. You can bring in a piece, a third, a fourth, a fifth piece. I don't know that you can bring in a guy who almost needs to be your best score or your best offensive piece. And that, that might be what you see is, is looking at next year if they really want to make a significant jump. So I think that's going to be tough. Um, I have a lot of faith in John brand. I think he knows what he's doing, uh, but the, the roster turnover is something that's been a fairly consistent theme with him, even going back to the UC days. I mean, the NKU days rather uh, he's always been able to overcome that. So I, I still think he will, he will figure it out, but at a certain point, if you keep turning the roster over, it gets tougher and tougher. Yeah, agreed. Let's keep it with the subject of college basketball. Go national here. Duke freshman and projected lottery pick Jalen Johnson that we just referenced has opted out of the rest of the season and will declare for the NBA draft according to a release from Duke on Sunday. He was averaging 11.2 points and 6.1 rebounds and 21.4 minutes per game for the Blue Devils. ESPN has Johnson ranked number six in its NBA draft rankings and the number one small forward in the class. Skinny, you obviously talked about it a little bit already, but how much of an issue do you have with Jalen Johnson opting out with six games left in Duke season? I just think it's weak. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I know everybody has their 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 agenda and everybody has um, their thing. And for him, maybe it was a case of um, I'm just going to get ready for the NBA draft and I don't want to get hurt and I don't need to deal with this. But this is also a kid who I believe had issues throughout high school of changing schools on a consistent basis. Um, that to me sounds like a guy that, um, and maybe it's his parents too, that are, unless you're doing it their way and his way, um, they're not going to like it. And if I'm an NBA team, I don't know, is he, is he talented enough to, to overlook all that stuff? I think he's okay. I don't think he's a great player. I think he's okay. Um, I know he's probably a first round pick in the draft and maybe a lottery pick, but 
Um, I, I do. I, 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 I think it's a bad optic for him. And, and you can argue, I know, you know, there's no coach K fans out there for the most part. Um, you know, maybe you can point to him as the reason why, but I just look at the cats past history. I and mean, when you, when you, all you do is up and leave, it sounds like to me, you're nothing but a quitter. Well, I think the Coach K point that you bring up is an interesting one. I would love to know the behind the scenes. I think Coach K is one of the most insufferable human beings that exists. So I would love to know how much uh, of this is him. And we've heard from some of Coach K's past players that didn't seem to be his chosen ones where the relationship was real sour and doesn't seem like Coach K is always the greatest guy to be around. So maybe there's something there that that is bigger that we just haven't heard about yet. I don't know. But I'm with you on this actually skinny. I, I think that to me, this is different than the stuff we always talk about with player rights. Like guys should be able to use their, their name, image, and likeness to, to make some money. Guys should be allowed to transfer, especially when coaches are allowed to up and leave with no penalty and make tons of money. The player should be allowed to do that, especially if they're co- the coach that brought them in is going to be leaving. I believe in all that stuff. Guys should control their own destiny. And I, I don't, like, I'm not upset that Jalen Johnson is allowed to do this or anything. He should be allowed to control uh, his his life and whatever he wants to do. However, I do think this is very different from the typical player right stuff that we talk about of being able to transfer or being able to make some money off of your name and be in a video game or or sell a sponsorship ad or something like that. Those things are way different to me than with six games left using a global pandemic like this to just quit on your team. This is well, quitting. This is quitting on your team. This isn't transfering after the no year question. and being in control of your destination to better your position. This is, eh, things aren't really going my way. I don't want to get exposed anymore. I'm quitting. I'm done. Right. And, and it came after a game in which he played uh, less than 10 minutes against NC state. That sounds to me like a guy that's pouting and actually Duke played pretty well in that game. So maybe it was just, it was a, Hey, sometimes as a coach, you know, you send a message of, of Hey, you've been fighting me all year. I'm going to try to play with the guys that are doing it the right, the way I want it done. And again, you don't have to like coach K, but just as a coach in general. Um, and so I, you know, and my team played pretty well. Maybe that's a message of, yeah. you know, hey, these sit guys down and be happy for your teammate. Right. Right. And, and so, Again, and so that's where I go back to um, this just and, and again, past history, too. That's the other part of it. I just think the optics bad. And um, yeah, maybe he maybe he did fear getting exposed that uh, that, you know, he's got a lot of tools to be a lottery pick. But maybe the more he played, the less the less NBA teams liked. Well, and, you know, you, you mentioned the fact that he had bounced around a little bit with the, the prep school, high school stuff, but he also had some injury history, which he's also dealt with at Duke. At, at what point? If you're an NBA team, does this become somewhat right. of a reg flag of like, hey, this guy hasn't been all that healthy and seems like they're ma-. to me as much as we know about elite athletes. And when you get to that level, what separates the guys and we know how much of it is mental makeup and how a lot of the elite guys are elite because they're great guys. They're special mentally. What I mean, they don't necessarily need to be great in the sense that they're like uh, virtuous and nice people. No, no, they're, no, right. They're right, great right, in right. terms of their drive to be great. You know, they're they're mentally. They have their stuff together. They have great work ethics. They're they're good teammates. If I'm drafting a guy in the lottery, I don't know that I'm taking the guy who just quit on his team. Right. I, that, to me, that is a little bit of a red flag. Now he still may be a great player, and he he can get past that. It's not the end of the world for him. But I don't know if I'm in the lottery that I'm wasting a pick on the guy who did that. I'm probably taking the other really talented guy in the lottery because they all will be who seems that's to right. have all of no. this stuff together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, that, that's that's where, you know, is this guy bona fide or not? And and if he's not, and now the red flags come up, I could see him sliding way down the board on draft day. And then and, and some of it's probably because of this decision. And my guess is he probably won't. They probably won't factor it in that much. But it, it's funny because I'm guessing it won't be a winner that, that takes him. You know, I'm well, guessing it'll be yeah. a, a franchise that tends to gamble and make some bad decisions on guys that end up being the one that takes him high in the first round. So. I'm interested to see how it plays out. I'm certainly not rooting against the kid, but I do think, especially with this COVID situation, we have seen a new wrinkle to this whole transfer portal slash opting out thing that that we didn't have much of before. There weren't a lot of guys just leaving in the middle of the season to transfer, and, and it actually just happened in the Horizon League. The guy who I was was debating on voting for player of the year, A.J. Brahma at Robert Morris. Right, I just saw he was that. He going to enter the transfer portal with a couple weeks to go. Um, and, and like, to me, that's Bush league. Like, there's no way I would vote for that guy for player of the year in the conference. Now, if you're going to leave your team with two weeks to go, that's, it's not a player of the year type of move. So, uh, I, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised, but you know, the kid already has tons of high majors reaching out to him one, wanting to get him. So, uh, talent usurps all. It, it usually does. But, but again, if this is a borderline lottery pick, that's a good borderline slide down the board type of move right there where somebody else slides above you. And you mentioned it. There's, there's a lot of good players out there that are, that are back into the lottery, just outside the lottery that, that you go, Hey, you know what? Push comes to shove. This guy's talents about this guy's talent. And this guy has no red flags and that guy has multiple. Give me the other guy. I'm with you. All right, let's switch gears one more time here before we get to our betting segment. Reds pitchers and catchers have reported to Arizona. Did I read that right? It's 10 degrees outside, snow everywhere, and the Reds pitchers and catchers have reported to Arizona for spring training, and with that comes a bunch of sound bites from interviews with the players. It was pitcher Sonny Gray who had the sound bite of the day on Wednesday when on a Zoom call with reporters, Gray discussed his mixed feelings about the offseason. Quote, it can get a little frustrating, and it was frustrating at times because, like I said, it pissed me off a little bit. I'm not going to lie to you. But at the same time, I have no ill feelings towards anything. I completely understand the, like I said, it was nice to be wanted and it's nice to be here. I do like it here. I do love it here. I like the people that are here. I like kind of where we're at. Skinny, what did you make of Sonny Gray's comments, if anything, about the offseason? A little frustration, obviously. Um, You know, maybe he's frustrated, too, that the Reds really didn't do much and they let a good pitcher go. And then he was involved in, in a lot of trade rumors. Now, I would say this. If, if you're involved in trade rumors, as, as we know, it's, it's one of two camps here, right? It's the agent trying to get that out there for whatever reason, or it's somebody just slinging stuff against the wall, or it's true. And so that's where maybe the Reds needed to reach out to Sonny Gray during all that and go, listen, I, I know what you're reading, what you're seeing. We have no interest in trading you. We've, we've, we've had teams call about you and be flattered by that. Um, but but we don't have any interest in trading you. And it, it sounds like maybe there wasn't a line of communication there, right? Uh, well, that's that's what I'm just going to ask. How much of this is on the Reds to make this okay? And and to be quite honest, I think we talked about this a little bit during the offseason when these rumors were coming up. And I, I actually believe, I'll give him some credit, I think Chad Brendel did some days on, on ESPN 1530 where he would talk about the subject of how much of this is on the Reds to communicate to their guys of like, hey, you're a guy. We're not. We're not shopping you around. People have called asking about you. Yeah, we, and I, and I, and I you. think you're not going anywhere, or or just at least being transparent with what they believe their situation to be at the time. 
I could be wrong. Maybe they were doing all of that with these guys and their agents and the mm. guys were still frustrated, but I don't think you get quotes like this right. from one of your top players if you were really communicating at a high level during this process. Yeah, and I can't remember um, which rumor that, remember Nick Kroll actually did come out and say, no, we're, we're not trading him. I can't remember who, maybe it was Sonny Gray. Um, was it Eugenio? It was one of them, whoever. Yeah, yeah it was one of, one of the rumors that was out there that he finally came out and said, no, we're not interested in trade. And maybe that's where it came down to of maybe somebody said, Nick, you need to go on a record here and just nip this stuff right in the bud. And, and that was the point for me, too. I think, Rick, on one of your podcasts we did back in whenever that was, January, even December, whenever some of this stuff would come up, where, where I even said, I said, now I feel a little bit better um, about the Reds not tearing things down. And they didn't. So obviously they were true to their word. And I, and I do go back to the fact of, there's nothing wrong with listening to an offer from another team, right? I mean, no, no. He goes, Hey, we want to trade you Mike Trout and we're still going to eat his salary. And all we want are three prospects in return. Um, okay. Yeah. We're listening. Keep going. Um, and, and, and that, that stuff happens all the time. And that's where some of those rumors that come out, I just roll my eyes and scoff. And I know it's part of the business now where you need to be the guy who's the insider on top of it. I just, and, and some of this is shame on agents too. Um, and, and maybe in the case of Sonny Gray, it was not Sonny Gray's agent. It was somebody else's agent that was talking about their client, but Sonny Gray being involved in talks. Um, but I do think if that's the case and that stuff's out there, then somebody needs to nip that in the bud publicly probably sooner rather than later. And that's where maybe Nick Kroll finally got to the, to the breaking point or somebody in the organization just said, listen, we got to stop all this rumor stuff. Um, our, our, you know, we're getting, our guys are mad. You know, Sonny's, Sonny's not, not happy. And that's where he went out there and finally said what he said. So I, I got a lot of frustration out of Sonny Gray from that. And I, I do think he likes it here. I do think he likes pitching in the ballpark for whatever reason. Um, you know, he, I, 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 I got the frustration, but I also got that he's ready to turn the page and, and move forward to the season too. Agreed. I don't, I don't think it's like a big deal going forward. I'm more just interested in how the Reds kind of handle their people. Cause like you don't want to be overreacting to media storylines and stuff that's getting pushed out there. Cause like we said, if you're responding to every trade rumor, you're just right. responding to a lot of nonsense at that point. But at the same time, in but when it becomes public, page. but when it becomes public and specific names are mentioned, not that the what? Reds and Phillies are in trade talks and you don't know who they're in trade talks with, but when specific names get mentioned, you best get on a horn to that guy and go, listen, Hey, they called, we listened. We're not going to trade you. I just want to let you know that. But, you know, we, we did get a phone call from them. They did put an offer on the table, but it, it, we, we had no interest in trading you no matter what the offer was. And that nips that in the bud. Well, look, even from a public perspective, I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying. You got to handle your guys, make sure you communicate to them. But even from a public perspective, I think it's worth not letting the whole storyline and narrative of the offseason be that the Reds are not only not doing anything and standing pat, but they're on the verge of tearing it all down and getting rid of their players and selling everything off. And be, I mean, that was like kind of what we were talking about all off season, despite the right. fact that none of it was truly happening. And if you're the reds to me, what, why not reach out to one of the local media members and be like, right. Hey, here's a bone. Here's what's actually happening. Yep. And yes, make, no, let's right. Exactly. Change the storyline around real quick, because it's that easy to do it in this day and age. It takes three text messages or Correct. two 15 minute phone calls with a couple guys you trust in the media. And you can, you can get this narrative spread throughout the entire country. Your guy reports it locally and all the national places that aggregate the news will all publish it within 24 hours and the storyline will be different. It's not Absolutely. that hard to control. I don't no. understand why that's not worth it in the minds of some of these teams. To, to, so at least you're not just getting beat up by every national publication who's really not even paying much attention to what you're doing other than the few rumors and storylines that they see. And then you're getting beat up locally because you're not giving a response to the local people. All they can go on is that.
Of course. And I, I, I don't blame any local people like the Reds and Bengals. It drives me nuts the way they handle that, where they they have a couple national guys that get scoops occasionally, but they really do not take care of the local beat writers at all. Um, in my I, opinion. Rick, I, I've reached out twice in the last week trying to get an answer on the on the whole ring of honor. And I've not even gotten I, I don't even mind if you didn't know commented me or we're not ready to talk about that publicly. I got nothing. I mean, I got nothing. I just don't I don't understand that way of, of doing business, especially when it's so easy to do it the opposite way this, in well, this day I, and age. I, look you if you don't want to reach out to me that's fine but i reached out to you can you at least give me an answer right i mean we're not talking about some yahoo who's coming around once a year you know what i mean like right. we're talking about guys who are working the beats every day for decades and they're not like helping those guys out that doesn't or at least giving them the courtesy of a response Yes, that's all I wanted. I, again, if you say to me, hey, uh, that got that got put out there erroneously. Um, we're not ready to comment on anything. Okay, that's fine. At least I got an answer. Yeah, I, I just don't get that. But it's not not my decision to make. So, Skinny, before we get on to our betting segment real quick as we wrap up the Reds spring training seg- segment, is there any big questions you have aside from the shortstop thing that seems to be the topic that's permeated all Reds talk over the last month or two? Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm writing a, a, a column. Um, probably it'll be published Friday of, of three questions and shortstop's one of them. So, I mean, that, that one we can skip over because we've talked about it. It feels like the last three podcasts and it is a question mark. Um, and, and the main one for me, I'll get to in a second. I do think not having the DH is going to hurt this club more than others. And I, I know you can look around probably at every team and go, well, it's going to hurt them and hurt them. But do I want Jesse Winker in the outfield 150 games a year or do I want to have him chance to DH? Do I want to rest Joey Votto by resting him as the DH? Do I want, you know, to put Nick Cast out? I, I just think it hurts them way more. And especially when, depending on who's catching on a given night, um, if it's Tucker Barnhart and then whoever your Yahoo shortstop of the night is and your pitcher, it's a whole lot of outs at the bottom of the lineup. So that, 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 that to me is one, but the main one for me is, is how will the bullpen shake out? I mean, they've, I think they've done a good job of building a bullpen the way you should build it, which is bring in some guys who've done it in the past have maybe had some arm issues. You get a bunch of them on the cheap and you let them sort it out in spring training and we go from there. Um, and you try to catch some lightnings in a bottle. You got to have a couple of proven arms. I think they got that in Amir Garrett and on the back end. Um, so I'm, I'm good with that. I think TJ Antone, if he doesn't start, can honestly be a quality two inning uh, setup type guy, to be quite frank. Um, so, yeah, I, I kind of like the way they've done it. But I, I the question is, how will it shake out in spring training? You know, Sean Doolittle has done it well in the past. Noe Ramirez has done some good things in the past. Cam Bedrosian, when healthy, who they just signed to a minor league deal with a, with a major league invite, has done some good things in the past. He's over. He's had to overcome some Tommy John and some arm injuries. But when he's had some full seasons of health, he's had an ERA of below two in 71 appearances, I believe. So I, I, I kind of like the way they've, they've gone about building it, but now we need to see some of that come spring training. And obviously when it, when it matters. Very good. All right, let's get into our betting segment where we got off to a Ooh. rough start. Did I, did I win anything? Yes, you did. You actually, okay. believe it or not, have a leg up on me. You were three and five last week. Wow. I was an abysmal two and six. Um, not not much good to talk about there, so let's just get into this week's games. <laughs> good, good point. Friday night, 6 p.m., we've got Wright State at NKU. The Wolf Raiders are an 11-point favorite, and the total is 143. I, I, I'll go with my heart as much as my head. I know Wright State is the class of the league, and you see the league, and you know the league far better than I can even imagine to know the league. But I also know how much of a rivalry this is. You know, I know the no fans and all that stuff, but it's still a huge rivalry game. 
NKU still playing for seeding and all that in the league. And, and, and um, I think it's a big weekend for them to, to try to get us to, to get a split. I shouldn't say try, cause they are obviously trying to win both games. So that's stupid to say, but to get a split, I, I think, I think both of these games, no matter how they shake down are close. Um, whether NKU wins by a couple or Wright state wins by a handful. So you're going to give me 11 in NKU. I think I'm going to take it and I'll take the total over. I'll go, I'll go Friday night. I'll go Wright state 77, 74. So you got Wright state 77 NKU 74. That's NKU covering and the over oh, over in yeah. that case. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm first of all, I love your optimism right here. Second of all, I think this is a really difficult matchup for NKU, but if you think there's any way in hell that I'm going to pick Wright State right now, you're crazy. <laughs> I'm going NKU 73, Wright State 72, outright win, NKU and the over. By the way, six of the last eight NKU games have gone over and one of the others pushed. So the, yeah. the, the Norse are also six and two against the spread in their last eight. So yeah, do, do you really think the line, and, and these are Ken Palm lines that, that Rick does, because obviously real betting lines don't come out until the, the really the overnight into the next day when games are played. Um, at some places, actually, you can't even get the lines until the day of games. Um, do you really think it'll be 11? You want the real answer? Yes. I think that's good value on right state. Do you really? I could see it being 13 and a half. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I, I, wow. I mean, I think it's. I uh, know they're really good. I get matchup. it. Well, they're like essentially a top 50 Ken Palm. I think they're like 60th right now. So oh, I, mean, I know. Like I, right I, there. They're a high yeah, major. No, I, I think they're good. Metrics. Yeah. All right. Saturday at 1 p.m. We've got Kentucky at Tennessee. The Vols are a seven point favorite. The total on that one, 129. Yeah, I'm, I'm going Kentucky's all of a sudden started to score the ball and, and I that, that not stop anybody and not stop anybody, which is which has it, been. So odd. are you with me that that 129 number is absolutely insane? Yeah, if it if it is the real number after if it is, man, I, I can't get enough of that, that that game going over, to be well, honest. Well, skinny, with you. the last total between these two teams was on 151. The well, no, 126. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, but it ended up 8170. So, yeah, right, they finished at 153. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they almost beat it by 30 points. Yeah, I, I, I so I love the over, but um, I just think Tennessee's a, a tough matchup for Kentucky, especially when they want to just put the, throw the ball inside. Um, I don't think Kentucky has answers defensively there. I know Isaiah Jackson's a great shot blocker, but uh, this last game, Tennessee, when it decided the last 10 minutes we're throwing the ball in there and you're not going to stop us, uh, they didn't. You know, Kentucky had a nice lead in that game, but, you know, you look up and Tennessee still won by 11 after coming back from a pretty hearty deficit. I don't think they sleepwalk on this one. I'm 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 all over Tennessee. I'm going to go Tennessee, Tennessee, seventy-seven, Kentucky, sixty-six. So that's Tennessee covering and the over, well over. Yep. Which yep. I totally agree. The the over here is the play. I just if that's anywhere below one thirty-five, I feel pretty damn good about it. And if we're sitting around one twenty-nine, where which right. is what Ken Palm has at right now, to me it's an absolute no-brainer. Um, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the idea of Tennessee ha just has enough, especially inside that they're going to win this game, but I actually think it's going to be closer. I think UK came pretty close last time and just faltered down the stretch the way they've done after getting a few wins here back to back. I'm thinking they'll have a little more confidence. Uh, Boston is playing better. And actually, I, I think the, the point guard play the last few games has been. Yes. A, you've yeah. got something out of Askew and Mince at different times. They've kind of played off each other a little bit. 
I think Kentucky will cover the spread. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Tennessee wins it ultimately, though. I'm going to go 72-68 Tennessee. So I've got Kentucky covering. And then, again, the, the big play here is the over. I think that's a multiple-unit play for me this week. Yeah, here are the last three Tennessee home games, by the way. And this is just home games, mind you, but the last three. Beat Kansas by 19, beat Georgia by 8, and beat South Carolina by 20. I mean, Georgia's an above 500 team, actually. South Carolina is not very good, but... Yeah, but Georgia um, stinks. They, I mean, they're terrible. Yeah, they're not They're not great, but they're above 500. So, I mean, it's still, it's still an eight-point win at home. That's still a pretty solid win. Yes. And in the point totals in those games, they put up 80 on Kansas, 89 on Georgia, 93 on South Carolina. There's no way that total can be below 130. There's well, just no way. And Kentucky has hit the over for five right. straight games right. in six of the right. last seven. Right. They're starting to make, they're starting to make shots. Uh, um, a friend of mine had some stat that... Um, this was before last night, before the, the Vandy game. I think they'd gone through the best four-game stretch of three-pointers in maybe forever, something yeah. like that, which that's for a team that also, um, for the first time in school history, didn't make a three-pointer in a game at one point this year. Right. It's, it's crazy. Well, you go back to the Tennessee game, which was four games ago. UK has given up 82 to Tennessee last time they played, 81 to Arkansas, 80 to Auburn, and 78 to Vanderbilt. So, I mean, they're just giving yeah, up it, a ridiculous amount of points. Yeah, too. yeah. All right, Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got Cincinnati at Houston. Houston is a 14-point favorite in this one. The total is 136. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I, I could see Houston winning by 20, but UC's been gritty enough to just keep competing, and I think they will to keep it inside that number. Um, I, I, there's no way I can see UC even come close to winning this game. If they do, then then Katie bar the door of what they might be able to pull off to end the season and take a ton of momentum into the conference tournament and a great seed, but I – I just don't see it. I'll, I'll go Houston comfortably 68-60. All right, so you've got UC covering and the under here at 128. Yep. I, I'm, I'm with you on UC covering this spread. I just think 14 is pretty good value for a team that actually has a little bit of confidence right now, and and I don't know if I want to say they're playing well, but they're they're playing much better than they were. And I, I think they will keep this one somewhat tight. I don't think Houston's the type of team that's going to run away from many teams to begin with. I like the over, though, here. UC has gone over in its last two games. I, I, I don't think – I mean, they're, they're not pressing anymore. They had to stop pressing, but I still don't think they're good enough defensively to really stop anybody. I'm going to go Houston 74, UC 64. So that's UC and the over at 138. And then Sunday night at 7 p.m., we've got Butler at Xavier. The Musketeers are a nine-point favorite in this one. The total is 135. And the last time Xavier beat Butler, the score was 68-55. So Xavier won that one by 13. And all of a sudden, they haven't played defense the last two games. Now, you got to think that the next few practices that's going to be working on making the defense better, and you will see a much better defensive effort. Butler's not great offensively, but I still think that game goes over the total. I think Xavier writes the ship in a big way. I'm going to go, I'm going to go Xavier 80 Butler 65. Oh, wow. So that's a, a big win. I'm actually in the opposite camp here. You're Xavier in the over. I'm on the over as well, which last week I went all unders, something I hate to do. <laughs> and I was two and six. So I'm reversing it this week, doing some over karma. I'm betting all overs this week. All I, right, there you go. Yeah. I mean, that's the only way to, to do it. Right. Um, but I like this game to be really close. I think Xavier will win it because Butler's just not any good. But I think the Musketeers are going through it right now. I think they're going to continue to struggle a little bit here and until they can get back in a rhythm and get enough practices under their belt. I'm going to say Xavier 70, Butler 67. So that's Butler and the over for me. Okay. All right, Skinny, let's get into it. Our weekly 
ask any anything segment where people just fire away for you. I pose them to you and you come up with all types of ridiculous answers. So Yes, I do. Um, we will start with a question from our guy, Dave, who says uh, he wants Skinny's thoughts on historical racing final approval in Kentucky, despite no great benefit tax dollar wise for the state. And when does Kentucky legalize sports betting? Uh, Kentucky legalizes sports betting when hell freezes over. Unfortunately, that's my fear. I, I wish that they, they would do it sooner rather than later. Um, they've, they've always been late to the party on just about everything. I do like the fact that the, 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 the bill got passed for historical racing, which is, let's just call it what it is. It's slot machines. And that's the funny part to this. I mean, they are literally slot machines. Um, and so that's where you go back to the whole legalized gambling. Let's just do it and let's throw sports into the mix and be done with it. But there's a very strong contingent and a loud contingent in Kentucky of there's a lot, there's a large lot, not even a large lobby. It's a loud lobby. Um, against uh, against legalized sports betting. So I, I just think it's going to be, like I said, when hell freezes over, unfortunately. I hope I'm wrong on that. But the but idea I do think that listen, is to but, but, protect the, the horse racing. Not, not, the- not, not really. Not really. It, 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 it's, it's not. Um, now this what what bill- is it, a religious aspect? Yes. I've, I've always heard yeah. it's more of like a Churchill Down situation, everyone protecting not, the racing listen, situation. Uh, listen, Ch- Churchill Downs, when it builds, whatever it builds at Turfway Park, is building that with not only horse racing in mind, but future legalized gambling in mind. Yes, correct. Yes. And that's what that's exactly how Kentucky should pass it, is just say, hey, you can, you can do sports betting, but it has to be inside a racino. I'm fine yeah. with going to Turfway to put my bets in. That's great. I, I think I, th- I think anybody is. I mean, it's fine. You have a separate little place to go for that. That's all well and good. Nobody, I don't Turf, think anybody. The new Turfway with the sportsbook would be incredible. It would be I'm absolutely fabulous, and I think it would be a, a boon for for that that for for Northern Kentucky. Yeah, it, but as far as the the bill getting passed, um, listen, horse racing is a huge industry in this state that employs a lot of people. A lot. And I know some people can argue, well, it's just getting the rich richer because it's improving purses. Purses in Kentucky, you know, purses at Turfway Park aren't great. Right now, Churchill's subsidizing a chunk of that out of their own pocket. Um, and yes, you can argue greed. And Churchill's done a lot of things that have really, I think, hurt the horse racing industry. But for this, I think it helps the horsemen a ton. Um, and then those that work in horse racing a ton. And from, I, you know, I worked in the business for a couple of years and got to know a lot of people on the backside and know all the hard work that they do. And, um, you know, when you're not running for great purses, a lot of times it's, it's, it's hard to, to, to make payroll sometimes. So, um, and, and then what ends up happening is in states that do, um, add to purses with, with gambling money, i.e. Indiana, i.e. Pennsylvania. Well, guess what? Then the horses start leaving little by little by little. You have smaller and smaller fields. The purses get worse and worse because the betting's not very good. And and so um, I, I think it's a good thing. And and listen, um, I'm just the big elk of if you don't want to go play the slot machines, then don't. You don't have no one. No one's putting a gun to anybody's head and going, you better go gamble. That's the part I, I, don't, I, I never understood about this stuff. I, I really have it. And listen, can you get in trouble with it? Yes, I've gotten in trouble with gambling in my lifetime. I get it. But you know what? That was my personal choice. That was my personal failure. Um, and then, you know, pick myself up with the bootstraps and realized you can't play like that. That's just silly. Um, grow up. And so um, I get it. And it's like anything in life. It's a it's, vice. It, it's a vice. And listen, huh, it's how you handle it. I, I, I don't smoke cigarettes. I, I never got into that vice. Um, you know, some people drink too much. Some people eat too much. Some people do a lot of things too much. No one's putting a gun to your head to do it. That's your personal choice. So in this regard, 
listen, I've I've gone to the to the to the little book in Newport to play a couple horse races here and there. Um, and I walk past the slot machines. I just don't, it's just not my thing. I just don't enjoy doing that. I don't think there's any skill to it. And there's not, you just put something in and you push a button and you, I just don't find that entertaining. Oh, um, please put but, a sports but, book in Newport here for me. But, but yes, correct. But yes, <laughs> but for those that do enjoy that, let them enjoy it. I'm with you. It was a, a horse racing kind of asking any anything segment because uh, you mentioned your days working at the horse track and someone actually asked about that. He says, Skinny, I'll bet you've seen hundreds of interesting things while working at the racetrack. What is the strangest? Um, probably the was one of the first Friday nights that I had. <laughs> um, we we did these Dollar Fridays at Turfway, and and I was kind of part of the part of the group that that structured those together, and they were a great like boom. dollar beers or correct, correct. Okay. But we also we and we had a lot of security there, a lot of a lot of uh, police that would would come at the end of the night to make sure you know people weren't going home and driving drunk and we warned people hey listen we got places you can call a cab so it was pretty close to the end of the night and i went down to my office to grab something and i was going to go back upstairs to just kind of as we were closing getting ready to close down make sure the party was ending properly well this woman comes stumbling into my office so drunk that i couldn't get a name out of her i couldn't i i, I said can you give me your purse no you're gonna steal my money i said no no i need to find who you are and i can call i'll call somebody i said okay can i she talked in riddles for 30 minutes and finally i just literally had to take her to the cop and go hey i i'm trying to help and she has no idea what she's doing i don't even know what she knows what day it is i've i've seen some drunk people in my day rick i ain't never seen anything like that the drunkest person i've ever seen was falling out of a uh red car a convertible at the mcdonald's and in, in covington parking lot while i was meeting chad johnson there back in like I don't know, some sometime in the early 2000s, like maybe 2009 or 2010 or something. Yeah, it was, it was one awesome. of the, yeah, one of the strangest nights, but Chad Johnson just kept trying to tell this, or Ocho Cinco at the time, I guess, just kept telling this lady, like, he, he was with a group of fans of us. He was actually giving us tickets to um, the season opener against the Broncos the year of that tipped pass for the touchdown. <laughs> so Chad Johnson is giving me and like seven other Bengals fans in a McDonald's parking lot tickets to the season opener and meanwhile, awesome. this girl is falling out of the, the car drunk, drunk. And, and like he's yelling to her like ma'am you need to stop drinking so much and is trying to talk her through some life decisions it was really a kind of a weird night to be quite honest with you and the, the best the, part the, about that was he gave us his phone number because he like told us we had to come pick the tickets up from his apartment which that's awesome we actually did and he gave us his phone number and it ended in 8585 right and so i'm laughing like oh, okay that's not your actual phone number and he's like you don't believe me and i'm like i mean 8585 he said like, call it so i called it and his phone it rang and and he goes i got that custom from t-mobile son that's unbelievable. Okay. That's, that's pretty good, dude. That's a wild a good story. story. Yeah, I'll give you one more from. So we we also did these um uh, during the 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 big race at weekend the lanes lane uh, the lanes end stakes whatever the sponsor was but that was the the race itself. Um, we had these these makers mark would make these special bottles. Um, and then we'd have different people autograph them. Like I, I've got the collection, Big O. Um, Marty and Joe had a bottle and they autographed it. Um, Oscar Robertson had a bottle. Uh, Steve Cawthon. So I think it was the first one we did. And so they're keepsakes. And and I didn't realize this part of it. The, the, if you're a collector, the collector is really the bottle, but not the booze. But we told people, we gave them out on a, on a I think it was a Friday night, maybe even a Saturday. We had a, a big party. Maybe it was the week before, but whatever. So we gave, I think, to the first hundred people 
um, we gave them one of those bottles and told them you can't open on the premises. You can't drink this. You know, this is yours to keep. So about an hour later, I look over and my man and he was a regular at the track and he was a, he would booze it up occasionally. I looked over and he is proceeding to drain the bottom of the bottle. God, no, it, it, it looked like he was drinking iced tea. It looked like one of those fake ones in the movie where you see the guy just chugging his bottle of whiskey and you're like, nobody can do that. Yeah, my man was doing it and it, it was the whole bottle was gone. And so I walked over. I go, I thought we said we're going to have to kick you out at this point. Um, but I thought you, we, we told you not to open the bottle. And he said, yeah, you told me, but I didn't listen. I said, no. I said, did you drink all of it? Oh, yeah. I thought, oh, a full fifth, a full fifth. Unbelievable. I don't it's understand. Unbe- like even the, the the alcoholics, the most alcoholic of the alcoholics, I don't understand the guys who can just drink that stuff like water Ooh. and be fine. Woo. Well, he wasn't do. fine. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> well, I mean, I get they they're intoxicated, but like I just how how do you your does your throat survive? How does your stomach survive? I mean, my stomach just wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Yeah. Oof. That's brutal. All right. A couple uh quick questions here. We've got a few on the snow. One is skinny. This is from our girl Lindsay. Is skinny a snow guy? And will he go outside and make a snow angel? Not a chance. No, I hate the snow. I've spent the last three days shoveling. I've not shoveled the stuff we've had overnight yet, which I have to go out and do. I spent two hours yesterday um, after I got the layer of snow off. Then we, of course, there's a layer of ice underneath it from the sleet. Um, I don't know if you've been to my house, Rick. I have a fairly big driveway. It's long and it's got a, it's, 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 it's not a lot of fun to shovel. Chopping bit by bit, having to take an ice scrape, uh, ice, scraper and chop that stuff off off my because i've got a hill on my driveway now we did park both cars up but you do need to get it off there i'm just not going to let it get to 50 degrees and melt i need to get it off my driveway um i'm not sure i've been this sore in 30 years it's been three straight days of digging out of this crap i hate it i hate everything about it. i hate the cold i hate the snow i hate how it affects everything i know i hate this i hate it I hate it well it sounds like you kind of just gave away your answer to the next question which was your thoughts on the neighbor that doesn't shovel. Yeah, I don't, I, I understand that neighbor. If the driveway is flat and not very big um, and you don't need to get your car out or you can get your car out through it, I guess to each his own. I just have a hill on my driveway and yes, I can park up, but um, I, I also don't want to have 12 inches of snow there. So if it snows two inches, you know, like what was the one a few days ago, it snowed or maybe it might've been last Seven. week or whatever. Yeah. The, the, but it snowed like two inches and then it stopped and then it snowed again, I guess was the one, yeah, the big one we had a couple of days ago. So I got the two inches off because um, I'm like, I don't want to go. And I think I only had like four or five inches on, on it on top of it. It was all fluffy except for the ice layer that, that got put down. Yeah, again, to each his own. I mean, if you don't want to shove your driveway, that's your business. It, it is going to, it will eventually melt. Um, you know, hopefully by next Wednesday, we just see smaller and smaller snow piles because it's supposed to get in the high, high 40s. Um, but yeah, I, I I, I think it's just a if you want to get your car up and down your driveway, you need to shovel your driveway probably. Yeah, uh, so I'm I'm a big believer in live and let live. Like I do not yeah. care what my neighbors are doing. I don't care really about their grass. I don't care about them shoveling or not. Uh, I was kind of triggered by this question in general, mainly because after it just snowed this most recent time, I didn't even shovel it myself outside. I do have a question though. Now, I don't know if this is like an old wives tale or urban legend type thing, or if it's real. I've always heard that if you treat the snow around your house, like the sidewalk and your driveway and everything, and then someone were to get hurt on it, 
like slip at that point, then you're liable because you changed it and, and made it unsafe. But if you just didn't touch it at all, that you're not liable. Is that just a total urban legend uh, thing? Like that's, that's getting hit by a question. car on college campus and you get free tuition? <laughs> yeah, I, that's a great question. I've never thought of it in that regard. Because I've always say, heard that, but I don't know it to be true. And I never had it, to deal with it until like now that I live in Newport with sidewalks and people walk all the time. I'm like, huh, is that a real thing or not? I don't know. Yeah, that's good. Now, one of our neighbors with his snowblower is nice enough to do a pretty wide swath of the drive of, of everybody's sidewalk in front of their house. Oh, that's pretty nice. It is very nice. Um, so I, 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 that's a good question. I'm going to say the answer. That's no. I, I think you know if you want to clean off your sidewalk, that's a you. That's a you decision. I, to I tend to think that as well, but I'm also kind of leaning into it a little bit because I didn't shovel this last time, and I'm like, maybe I'm not a shovel guy now. Maybe like the, I, I should. The, the, the one I get uh, mad at, reasons. The one I'm I get mad at is when when we have these heavy snows. And I know not everybody can park in a garage. I get that. I don't park one of our cars in a garage because we've got half our garage filled with storage stuff. So one of the cars. You ended up behind Fred on the expressway, didn't you? Yes, correct. (laughs) So no, but here, so here's the, here's what happens though. People, people leave their car on the street. The snowplow comes down, has to work its way around cars. And then what will happen is because there's no car in front of my house, guess where he pushes some of the snow because there's, there's cars then past my house down the street it gets pushed in front of my driveway. So what do I have to do? I have to go dig out that crap on top of the crap in my driveway. Yeah, that's unfair. I don't like it that. It is. Stupid. Skinny emojis or GIFs? Uh, neither or neither. Which were, which would you be more likely to use if you had to use one? Um, I guess an emoji because I've used one on occasion. Um, I've never, I've never put together a GIF and and done a GIF. So no, I, I go emojis because I've done it. I don't do it very often. I'll do like the giant check mark, or um, my my youngest daughter in my phone. Um, she actually did this for me, but I always claim that my favorite daughter is our youngest dog, which is funny. So she calls herself my favorite favorite daughter, not named Leah, and it's got two hearts behind it. So whenever I ask Siri to call. She says it that way. So um, I've, I've used some emoji. I'll use a dollar sign on occasion. I may have even emojied you with a thumbs up on occasion. So I guess I guess I'll go emojis because yeah. I've used them some, but I'm I'm not a big fan of them. Look, I mean, if you've got emojis in your contact book with people's names, you're an emoji guy. I don't well, I she, she, now she, she 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 put her own contact together. Mind yeah, you, but so that's that, still that, big that, emoji that, guy energy. I will say that. Yeah. Uh, and, and it sounds like you are a gif as opposed to a gif guy in terms of pronouncing that word, right? You. Yes, you, correct. Yeah. It's gif. It's gif. OK, that's what I do, too. I, I, don't, I don't know. Someone just wanted to know the answer to both of those okay. things. So uh, I asked. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, another kind of a silly one here. Rank the following pet owners in order of weirdness. I guess we'll go most weird to least weird. Okay. Ferret, rat or mouse, Ugh. snake, Ugh. frog slash toad, pig, spiders. I mean, the thing is, at the end of the day, if you have any of these, you're all you're in the bucket. You're just in the I, same bucket as the yeah, other correct. Guys. I, I would I would go the least weird of that. I guess would be ferret, as goofy as it's at that sounds. I, I just don't find snake, any. Re- I think snake is actually the least weird of that. Oh, I don't know, man. Uh, I, I, I'm not I would a snake guy it, at all, but I think I I'm know not either. the most normal people that have snakes. Yeah, I would hope it's non-poisonous, right? <laughs> it's just one of those. Yeah, I mean, there's all different levels to the snake right, world in terms right. of pets. And Yeah, what, what, what redeeming quality do spiders have? 
I don't. I don't understand that at all. Why would you ever have an now, insect now, as a pet? Now, I, I will say, um, you know, during certain times of the year, um, uh, underneath my porch, especially, I'll see giant spider webs, and I'll leave them alone because I'm thinking, okay, you're going to kill some of the bugs around here, and I'm good with that. But I don't need you as a pet. Just you know, when the weather turns, you'll dry up and go away, and that'll be that. Mice and yeah, rodents? No, uh, no. I, I do not get having an insect I, as a pet at all. Um, yeah. The 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 mouse thing is I mean, it's it's weird and it sounds gross when you say it, but honestly, it's not really much different than like a hamster or gerbil that all these people do. I I don't it's weird, I've, I've, but I don't yeah, really I've have not, a big problem with it. Yeah, it's, it's more that's, like that's, snake food if to me. Yeah, I'd go ferret least. I'd probably go mouse. You don't want a rat. A mouse is at least there's some redeeming quality there. Yeah. I'll go that one second. I'm gonna go what, what were the other ones? Snake. Frog slash toad. Okay, frogs. Okay, frog, frog slash toad would be third. I guess pig would be fourth. I just have never understood. I had a friend of mine that had a pot bellied pig. I, I still don't understand the, the reasoning behind it, but okay, it's it's weird. But if you find it, I mean, they're, it, it is weird. And I'm going to go snake person. And then the most, the weirdest of all would be spider person. Okay, I'm, I'm down with that. I don't think I need to what adjust you, those rankings do, at all. Do you take do you take your tarantula out and just let him roll around your hand? I it, mean, what's, what's it is the do? I, I, I cannot understand that one for the life of me. Plus, I mean, I don't really like spiders. I'm not someone who freaks out by them, but like they are kind of creepy and just I don't like the idea of them touching me. Uh, yeah, I, I just what what redeeming quality does it have? I don't understand yeah. other than you can be the weird guy who owns a tarantula or a spider. And, and that's what you're I think that's what you're, that's goal what you're is going to for. Be. Correct. Yeah. That's the weirdest is the, is the spider. Um, okay. These two good questions to wrap it up here. One with uh, one from our guy, Barstool Riggs and the other from Lance McAllister. Which one do you want first? Uh, let's go with Barstool Riggs and we'll close it out with Lance. All right. So Barstool Riggs wrote uh, a column on Barstool, which actually someone sent to us. So, so thanks to whoever sent us, but it, it was about uh, Aikman and Joe Buck and, and talking about drinking a beer during the broadcast and Buck would sip a beer during the game just to remind himself that it's not too serious to relax and that they are calling a game there. And it brought about the question and Barstool Riggs ranked them the best announcers to drink with. Do you have uh, he, he did a top 10, but do you have a top one or two here of, of announcers that you would want to drink with? Hmm. Let me, let me give that some, some pause. Cause a lot of them take themselves extraordinarily seriously. Um, well, I don't know if you classify him as an announcer because he's an analyst, but there's no doubt Bill Raftery. Who wouldn't want to have a beer with Bill Raftery and talk hoops? Yeah, and, and everyone wants to do that. I will, And he was the number one on Riggs' list. I will yeah, say okay. at this point, I think I'm, I'm out on Raft, not because I wouldn't love to do it, but just because people have like overhyped him as the guy to drink with. Like, I think he's almost overrated. Like, that guy is well, almost 80 feels, now. But- what am I, how much am I going to have in common aside from you know, Oops. drinking and I, I, I don't know. Like I just, and it'd, it'd be fine. I'd love to do it, but I just think he's a little overrated at this point is like everyone's far and away. Number one, just because he like talks about drinking on air. Yeah. Good call. Are these all national guys or can they be local? Yeah. You could be whoever you want. Uh, Dan Horde. Dan Horde's just a normal dude, man. I've had a beer with Dan Horde. So um, I, 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 he's just got a great sense of humor. Um, Dan, Dan would be in that mix. Dan's a pretty normal guy to me. I'm with you on Dan Horde. That would be a, a really good one. I love Harlan. I think Harlan would be, I don't know him personally. I don't even know if he drinks, but I just, it's, he seems like he would be a fantastic guy to grab a beer with. I think he seems I, hilarious. 
I, I think so too. I just wonder how much is an act or how much is real. Cause but I mean, even, even but even you, if it's an act, you have to have a certain like self-awareness and sense of humor to do some of the stuff he does. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll, I'll give you that back in the day. And I think he still does Cardinals games, Mike Shannon. Cause you know, he'd booze it up. He boozed it up during broadcast for goodness sakes. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of drinkers. I think in the so, in the broadcasting so what, what, world. So, do you have Reeg's top ten? Because I'd love to. I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I did not see the column yet. I can go look at the column, but if you've got it, I'd love to hear it. Yeah, I actually have it right here. Um, so well, and and actually, this is one that I wanted to mention that is his number ten. Brent Musburger, I think, would be fantastic. Oh, good call. Gamble absolutely. with Brent and absolutely. Yeah. Uh, he, uh, he, I'll tell you what. The, the first story I read about Brent Musburger. This is back in the seventies. Uh, there was a magazine called Inside Sports. It was trying to rival Sports Illustrated at the time, but it did a, a piece on Brent Musburger because that was his heyday of of uh, you know the 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 pregame show on CBS. And I can still remember part of the story was one of the anecdotes was I think the guy must have ridden home with Brent. Brent lived in Connecticut, so he would commute from uh, his home in Connecticut to um, to New York City and back. And it talked about him having um, a cooler of beer in the back. And it said his last two were rolling around as he rolled into his driveway. And I'm like, I love that guy. That's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So he has number 10, Brent Musburger, number nine, Brad Nessler. Number eight, okay. Al Michaels. Yep. Seven is Harlan. Six is Jim Nance. Five is the See, combo. Jim Nance, it's the, the only thing is Jim Nance wouldn't. He, he, he looks like a complete wine guy to me. Yeah, he says something tells me you're drinking nothing but the finest wine and scotch in all the land oh, okay. with Nance. Oh, okay, good call. Yeah, but he said, but really this is about becoming best friends with him and getting invited to his house on Pebble to play his backyard. Yes, Michael. great, great call. Great call. <laughs> yeah. Uh Five, Bill Walton and Dave Pash, the combo of them. I couldn't do it. Bill, Bill Walton just wears me out. Well, I'd I, like I to do I, ayahuasca in a foreign <laughs> land with Bill Walton, not to have a beer. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah, he just wears me out. I couldn't I couldn't do it. Hallucinogens of some sort, not yes. beer. Uh, Vern Lundquist at number four. Yeah, like me some Vern. Normal Three guy. Three is Mike Breen and Clyde Frazier. Oh, that's a great one. You know what? I forgot and he's about. he's the next guy. Um. He, well, I, you know, I, 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 I always love Walt Frazier. The time I lived in New York, I, I, I fell in love with him as a player. I was just a little kid then and, and got a chance to go to a couple of Knicks games when he played he and Earl the Pearl with the backcourt. And that was pretty special to watch. And then just his coolness, man. And I think Breen's just feels like a regular guy too. That's a good one. That's a good one, Riggs. I like that one. Number two is Joe Buck. I don't know. He says, He's, he, here's his, his write-up. The man is already talking about getting a little loose in the booth, so he has to be on the list. Nobody has ever rebounded better than his Randy Moss mooning call. Buck has one of the best big game voices in the game, so anytime you start drinking with them, you just assume you're in for a night. I will say he was in uh, – he had a cameo in in one of my favorite shows. It's not on any longer. It had a very short run, but the show Brockmire, um, he was kind of Brockmire's um, – arch enemy but also at the same time he uh he he helped get him a couple of jobs along the way and he just played this smug ass i'm better than you he played himself basically and and not even basically he played himself but came off as this smug ass i'm better than you guy it was a great role and a great character and he played it really really well so yeah maybe i'm wrong in my uh but um i think this is a big barstool play too here if you're in the barstool world because joe buck i think one of the big turning points for him in terms of his like public image thing was when he went on parted my take with uh big cat and pft 
And people saw this other side of him all of a sudden. I was like, wait, this guy doesn't actually take himself as seriously as we all right. thought this whole right. time. And that's and where seemed- the, the, the Roland Brockmeyer was exactly that way. I thought it was he was really good in it to the point of, oh, man, if this is really how you are, you are an ass. But he was so good at it that you could just tell There's he was having fun with the role. There. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's like to me, self-awareness is like the best trait you can find in another human. If they if they at least know who they are, I don't care if they're kind of a jerk or whatever, as long as they get who they are and can control it a little bit, I can I can handle anybody that has self-awareness. And the number one for him was uh, Raft and Gus Johnson together. Yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm down with that. It's a good list, yeah. It's Honorable mentions, like Dan Shulman, Sean McDonough, Ian Oh, Dark, I like Dan Shulman. I like Sean McDonough. Ray yeah. Hudson and Gary Thorne. Okay. So there you go. All right. One last question here from our guy Lance McAllister. He says, give me tales from doing a three-man morning show with Chief, which is Tom Gamble, and the Godfather, Bob Trumpy, which this is a great question. I'd love to hear this too. And I will ask you if you don't mind coming up with something other than the time you threw your headset and hit Trumpy. Yeah, well, let, let me let me set the stage for that one. But that was that was part of it. Was was um, I, I I would get so mad at him on occasion that I just I could and I the one day when I lost my complete temper, I took my headset off and I threw it at him. I literally threw a headset at Bob Trumpy, who I became friends with and really respect. And um, I, I just really like him, but he was just, he was a hard guy to do his show with. I, I think some of that too, to be quite frank, is he knew that he was about to get pushed out and that's not a good place to be. And it was uncomfortable. And I never felt comfortable with us. You know, when they, when they talked to Tom and I about doing the morning show, I thought it was just us and that's fine. But then they said, well, we want to try to make it a three-man show for he'll have his own hour. You guys will have your own hour and you guys can mix the two hours in between. And it was like oil and water. Um, you know, he, uh, he just, he just had a hard time with it. And I get that, but, but every day he would, he would come in, we would come in, he goes, boys, what are we going to accomplish today? And it was usually we're accomplished trying to have fun and talk about sports. I don't know what we're, we're, what we're trying to, we trying to split the atom. So, but a couple of them for me was they had this, they had this no smoking policy in that building and he was a chain smoker. And so during breaks, he would sneak into the stairwell to, to catch smoke. I mean, he's talked about as a player at halftime. I mean, back in those days, guys would light up during, during halftime Just of games insanity. they were playing, in, which is crazy to me, right? Crazy to anybody in today's day and age. But um, so he, he, and, and the, 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 the radio station was adamant. Nobody smokes in the building period. End of story. So he got warned a couple of times. And so finally, um, one day during a break, he comes back in, you tell he'd been smoking. I mean, to tell you the general manager of the station came in and talked to him like a child to the point where I wanted to crawl under the table. I've never seen one human being undress another like that in my lifetime. It was, it was, and you could tell, I mean, he felt extraordinarily small at that time. And it was just his reaction. Um, he, he took honestly, it. yeah, he took it. Um, and, and I'd never, cause he's so combative. That's the side I've never, I've never seen him not be combative with something. Um, I think he actually feared he was going to get fired on the spot to be quite frank, which again, he had a lot of, he's got a lot of hubris. He's got a lot of, um, a lot of ego and some of that's all well-earned, um, cause he was the Godfather, but that that's one of them. Uh, the, the other one was, um, God rest his soul. Glenn Sample was the longtime official scorer for the Reds. Very nice man. So I want to use that caveat. But I always thought Glenn was just a brutal official scorer. Just brutal. <laughs> so one day we have we, we, actually what even one day we had a segment once a week, I believe, with Tom Hume. It was like from the bullpen because I think he was the Reds bullpen coach at the time. All right, that's fine. He's a former player. Tom wasn't overly interesting. But something had occurred the, the night before on an official scores decision that somehow we actually talked about for 
30 minutes leading up to the time Tom Hume came on. So, so Tom comes on and I think Trumpy thought, okay, I got an ally here. I'm going to bust my chops with it. He said, uh, Tom uh, Skinner this morning, he's been all over Glenn Sample's scoring decision last night on the blah, blah, blah play. He said, can you tell him how wrong he is? He goes, no, he's right. It was a terrible scoring decision, and he's not a very good official scorer. And I went, oh, oh, whoa, okay. And you should have seen the look on my my man's face went ghost white. Like, I thought I had an ally here, and he just made me look stupid. Because that's the one thing I Bob didn't like looking stupid, and he's not. He's a, I mean, dude's a talented man, um, and he is the godfather of sports talk radio. And I revere him in that regard. I, you know, I'm well, probably like a little seriously kid. that way. Yeah, I mean, I. I grew up listening to the guy, right? As a kid, as a, as a, as a teenager into my college years. And then here I am doing a show with the guy. Uh, I mean, that, 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 that was pretty special. Um, but I also listened. I had my, you know, me, I was a pretty opinionated guy. You don't have to like my opinions. That's all well and good, but I'm going to state my case and why, and usually try to put a little bit of common sense behind it. Um, what age would just, you have been here at this time? Uh, I was in my 30 mid thirties. Okay. So you weren't like, total young dumb no, skinner you had you no. had some like well thought out yeah. ideas at this point yeah 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 no 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 question about it so uh we disagreed on everything football um you know he he always was, would take up for coaches we always wanted coaches fired and this was in the cosmic <laughs> bow years so you can imagine how that went well you you were in the right at least in those years yes correct but not according to him well, that's good stuff any any other uh bob trumpy or Tom Gamble stories for us. Do you got a good gamble one? Yeah, not off the top of my head. Um, he, he was fun to do show with. I will say that. <laughs> I, I have no doubt about that, Chief. Good stuff, Chief. I appreciate it. Thanks all you for sending in your questions. We'll uh, do it again next week um, as we get closer and closer to Selection Sunday. And for NKU, uh, conference tournament time coming up, right? That's right. This is the last weekend of the regular season. So they have a long, drawn-out conference tournament coming up. And Hopefully they hang on and get that top four seed in a first round bye. Yep. Good stuff. All right, Rick, we'll be back uh, next week. We'll actually we'll be back over the weekend with our Sunday uh, podcast with Chad Brendel on college basketball to talk about NKU wrapping up its regular season this weekend. Talk about UC and Houston, Xavier and Butler and Kentucky going to Tennessee and much, much more. So be sure to, uh, to tune in for that. But Rick and I will be back next week with another Skinny Podcast. This has been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Oak edition. edition.